This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy, John Gabriel, standing six foot two, two hundred and ninety-four pounds. That's right, you heard it, folks. He's under three hundred pounds for the first time in a while. From the south shore of Nassau County, Long Island, it's Johnny G. All you gotta do is trust me. Jackson Maine from A Star Is Born. Gabriel, you need to see a new movie. Maybe I'll start doing The Maestro. Also joining me in the High and Mighty Studios, my nearly sound co-host, Arthur Gabris. Arthur, give him a shout out. Arthur, not actually in the studio today. Also joining me in the High and Mighty Studios, returning guest. You know him. You love him. Bump Vulture. And now, a newly christened author. We got <laughs> Jesse David Fox. <laughs> Hi. I, I was going to make like a fox noise, but in that moment, I realized like a wolf is a howl, a dog is a bark. What foxes- I believe make like little squeak squawks. I don't think they are. They don't roar. They're like, I think they're like little dogs. If I remember. I got correctly. a song idea. It's like, what does the fox say? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll work on a beat and come up with something for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, congratulations on a fucking book. Thank you so much. Is it, it is, out, uh, is it yeah. out now? Yes, it came out two. D- it's out now. It came out November seventh. Um, Hell yeah, my wife's birthday. Which is like, you start these books. It'll be almost four four years from when I first had a conversation about I'm going to now start working on a book. Wow. Yeah. I mean, let me. Yeah. I can tell you about the amount of conversations I've had about starting something and then in four years, four years come and gone and I haven't even made a fucking inch. So yeah. congratulations, man. Th- this is yeah. like, this is like a project. Books stress me out. Like I have enough friends that have written books that it just, I can't even like getting like a 30 page uh, spec together is like <laughs> impossible. Books seem so much more overwhelming. Yeah. It's like you, you procrastinate as much as possible. Like my writing style was like, okay, I'll do research and that counts. But then I realized I was doing research to stuff so tangential just so I didn't have to start writing. Yeah. I was like, like, I have to. Let me watch Delirious and Raw again. (laughs) Yeah, that will be relevant. Like I don't talk about it, but maybe. And then like, I was reading like Lenny Bruce's uh, biography and it's like, and I was like, okay, well that won't form. And then I was just truly just reading books about wit and like old academic texts and I was like, I just have to write a word. I, if I yeah. if I keep on, I will just have to, I just have to write one word down, which will be the first word of the book, whatever it is. And then knowing, I'm probably going to cut it all out, but I just need to start doing a thing. Um, That's, and, this, yeah. this has a lot of carryover to the rest of our conversation, but keep keep going because yeah. I, this is literally how I'm looking at working on stand-up. It's like, you yeah, so, just have to do it. You, at some you point, just you just have to, have to start. It. Yeah. Like, I, there's writers who are more organized than I am, both, like, literally and, like, how their process works. We're like, okay, let me map out this whole book and, like, okay, well, here are all the things I'm going to be touching on, so then this can tie into that, and then, like, I'll map out the chapters and, like, and, like, I think partly because I started as a blogger, like I only know how to write first word forward. So I just right. like, yeah, I would like make like I had a list of things. I'm like, well, this will we'll just go in this order. It would be like, um, actually, it's not on like a set list. Right. So it's like yeah. you have a book, you have a name of a thing. You're like, cool. All right. So I'm starting with um, 
Jerry Seinfeld. And I know I need to get to like this essay about how you can't cut up dead frogs. And uh, somewhere in between will be this. And I'm just going to be writing in that direction. And be like, <laughs> and now I'm there. Like that. And, and ultimately, what I realized halfway through was like, I'm going to be editing. This is from, it's actually from talking to Dan Harmon, because Dan Harmon realized this with his scripts, which is like, he edits good first drafts as much as bad first drafts. So you might as well write a bad first draft that takes a third of the time as writing a good first draft. Yes, yes. I, I'm on board with that. A lot of people in the industry will call it like a vomit draft. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. So, get it, just get it on the paper and then start molding it. So yeah. I would yada, yada, 3,000 word sections. I'd just be like, start, start. It's like, okay, yada, yada, I'll write about Bo Burnham. And then like next thing you know, it's like, then I'd on my second pass, like, now I have to write this but now it's a future person you know I, I keep on passing the problem on and then next thing you know you're like i had a hundred and fifty thousand word first draft which is i my editor told me like the book is going to run at like ninety thousand words and i wrote one hundred fifty thousand words and i was like i wonder if i can get him to read this one and he's like i will not read anything over a hundred thousand words Whoa. I was like, okay gotta cut out fifty thousand words you gotta cut a third of my <laughs> fucking book out yeah and and this is not like me, I'd be changing the margins a little, you know, double space, like doing that. that none Work of that shit out. works. That's too much. You have to actually get a lot of it gone. <laughs> you have to be like, what is actually am I talking about? And then you, and then it's just like, but <laughs> once you get it down, then you, then at least you know what you're working from. So it's so much easier to squeeze and whatever. But like to write a first word of a thing that's going to be 90,000 words, like is an impossible thing. So that's why you had yeah. to just, I had to just accept like, what is a thing that is like a thing I'm going to do? And maybe I'll start with this. And it was like, it was honestly like the first, and it's not even in the book at all, but like the first thing I did was defend that I got to write a book. Right, right. Which, which is funny because we kind of talked about this off air before yeah. we jumped on. But I wanted to say like, I, I know there are people, there are literal people who are like, you can't be a comedy reviewer yeah. without having done stand up or being a stand. And to me, I love, like, I, I'm old enough that I read film critics that I watched yeah. Ebert and, you know, I watched Siskel and Ebert growing up and I respected them because I respected their taste. And honestly, that's how I came to know you was I enjoyed yeah. how you talked about comedy. And honestly, we need more outsiders looking in because it's hard. Like, I'm not going to fucking post like, you know, Rich Voss's stand up was kind of, like, I mean, I have a lot of stand ups I love, but you're not going to catch ri me. And, and Rich Voss. It's so funny that Rich. Imagine just like, OK, I'm going to start doing comedy criticism. Rich Voss. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I just uh, kick the hornet's nest step yeah. for day one. Um, I like. And so I appreciate what you do already. Oh, and you. I and I guess I find it hard to believe or I guess I find it crazy that there aren't more people doing what I mean, the arts that have been exploded in the last hundred yeah. years and art criticism is kind of like went the way of guys on YouTube pointing out Easter eggs or whatever. But I'm glad to see there's some I mean, you 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 write for a print publication yeah. like that's yeah. like that alone is like a, a dream. But the idea that someone is out and I guess there's an element of sort of like the doors have been closed to com comedy is blown up and it's yeah. like a huge live performance comedy is like bigger than ever before. And as TV and uh, streaming and all this shit gets fucking shattered even more, I feel like there's going to be performers are leaning on it even more for their finances and for mm -hmm. the artistic fulfillment. Yeah. And 
it's such an insular world that it needs someone from the outside who has a breadth of knowledge and has seen a bunch and thought critically about it that also has zero skin in the game like you know what i mean like for you to like be like like if you were a guy who was a stand-up but you also booked weekly you know i'd be like "Eh, it's a little uh he's gonna have favors that's what i like about this this area that you're in and so i'm so appreciative of it and like thank you Previous guest, Jesse, was on previously. We talked about SNL as like sports, which uh, I kind of stuck with for a really long time. didn't realize <laughs> I was doing it. But much like sports, sometimes your team gets so bad that you're happy to have your Sundays free. <laughs> I'm kind of in the oh, my funny. Saturday so evenings are free. I, I, you know, I'll watch some highlights, watch some weekend update. But uh, I've which I've, is not crazy. I mean, like I remember I've, I talked to Seth Meyers like right after he left and he's like, I still watch, but I don't stay up on Saturday to watch. I'll see what's... I was like... One, it's some cast members can't watch, but he still cared. He watched it like right. sports. He loved that piece too. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to watch clips. I have a kid or like I have, I'm a grown-up. I'm not going to stay up until one o'clock on a Saturday for no reason. Yeah, it's just like me now. I'm like, I'll watch the Giants highlights. I can't sit through a three-hour game. It's too yeah. stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Um, and I do have less like personal friends yes. on the show than ever before too, so that helps. <laughs> it's like like it's like watching the NBA now, where I'm like, these kids were not these kids were like not born when 9/11 happened. I know these kids who are on <laughs> SNL now were not alive when I got rejected by SNL. <laughs> Your rejection is older than current cast members. <laughs> yeah, a dream. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, that Ron, is a good my Ronnie from Jersey Shore impression really didn't uh, pierce through to <laughs> to the crowd over there. But uh, the topic at hand is stand-up comedy because I, too, have a bit – I'm like a half-outsider perspective yeah. on this in that I've – always been a fan of stand-up since I was a kid. And when I got into comedy, I thought that was the only thing. And then I mm. found improv and sketch in college and was like, oh, okay, this is more in my wheelhouse because it's like team stuff and I like collaborating. But in the last couple of years, uh, since I've always done some solo stuff, yeah. some character storytelling, but since the pandemic, I was like, what the fuck is improv? Like, I <laughs> wish I could just tour by myself. I wish like someone would go like, Gabrus, do you want to open for me in mm-hmm. Stockholm or whatever? So like, there's like, I want this skill set, and it's also something that makes me nervous. Yeah, which I don't feel that frequently in in performance anymore. So something that gives me nerves. I have like this. I'm 41. My life is pretty soft. So if I can find something that gets me a little anxious, right. like I, I, like camping, like stuff that I'm like, this is actually a little more difficult than I'm used to. <laughs> Just, so stand up gets me in that space. So and I've been doing it more and more. And when you were like, I, I want to do the pot, I'm like, I feel like this is perfect because it's changed so much. It's going to change even more. Yeah. There's so many strong opinions, so many strong camps and stuff like that, that I was like, oh, I'd love to get into it. I get into yeah. it a little bit. I will say, like, I can't remember. I The first time I ever saw improv, it was at DCM and is either you the first improv I've ever seen was, I believe, either you or Doppelganger. I can't remember which show opened that DCM, but it was you with like Ben Rodgman and Ben Rogers yeah. and Gavin Spiegel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Outlook of the Poet was the name of that. We used to do uh, improvise one act plays. So it, that was a DCM. The first time I ever saw DC, improv was, I believe, either you or that. And then, if not, you were the second <laughs> improv I've ever seen. So like, you are what I think improv. I think of you. Oh, go so, good. So that's but that's what I wanted to talk about because it's like 
the transition to stand-up is n- happens, but it's the shifts are so subtle, and I don't think people talk about it from the perspective that I find interesting, which is sort of like, what is your relationship to the audience? Like, why, you know, because I think a lot of people would be surprised they'd be nervous. It's like, you talk right now as yourself, you've done, performed on stage, and it's like, but there's, and I think that nervousness is, like, essential to, like, what makes stand-up work. And, like, I think the the sort of, no, the best comedians find ways to keep on being nervous when they are working. Yeah. And I, th- and I think the most disappointing comedians are the comedians who figure out a way to not feel nervous anymore and realize, like, oh, this is really cool. I could be famous and not be nervous. I'll just yeah. do that. Yeah, there's, like... There's an element, like, I guess what words we're not using are, like, pushing yourself or, like, you know, uh, like, taking a leap. Yeah, Yeah. vulnerability, yeah. Yeah, I I think um, part of why stand-up makes me nervous is because I haven't done it ever, but I've been a fan of it for so long. I guess there's, like, that Ira Glass quote that comes to mind where he's, like, if you've been a fan of something Mm -hmm. for so long, like, I have a high standard in my head for stand-up. And so when I... And I've gotten really good at improv and like live performance outside of stand up. So I have this like in my head of like, fuck, I can't be bad. Like, I don't want to yeah. be bad. So then I'm like, oh, I'm overthinking it. I'm, I'm, I think I'm taking. And I finally had to just get to the point where I'm like, no one's fucking thinking like this guy I thought was really good at improv. <laughs> and now he's bombing at stand up. Like, no one cares. But and, and a matter of fact, I, I feel like half the time I go up at stand-up shows when they're real venues they don't even know me as an improviser so it doesn't fucking matter uh but i've been like in my head about that because i'm like oh well you know rory scoville blah blah like you know like and i'm like stop choosing like people who are the best (laughs) (laughs) but also the best bomb if they the the best comedians allow themselves to still bomb even though they don't they they could not bomb like rory i think is a great example because like Rory does those improvised shows, right? Where he when goes you up said with nothing. someone who uh, makes themselves like Rory came to mind because he's someone I idolize as a stand-up, and like his style of stand-up is so. I think I could, if of of a style I could emulate, it's that because it's this kind of, I mean, a different energy, different volume, but yeah, sure. I could, <laughs> but <Pretty a> loud, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I could, just, my yeah, my definitive <laughs> Rory joke is him yelling that the moon is out during the day. <laughs> He's like, you ever see the moon? You ever see the, when the moon is out during the day and you go, get, you're not supposed to be. He's just like yelling, get to the moon. Get, get. Anyway, so it's not that different of a value, but I know what right. you mean. Yeah, but like his kind of style of kind of like you don't, it, it seems like he doesn't know what he's going to talk about yeah. also. Yeah. Do you, when you go up, do you, you have, you, do you have written jokes? Do you have, do you ever go up with nothing? Okay, see, this is where it comes into play. Now I'm also like, I want to want to do this. And to me, writing and honing jokes is not, it's not something I want to do. And I think it's probably because I'm lazy and have been rewarded for years of never scripting anything. So, but I've been doing like, chunks about a topic and then finding stuff and then kind of like remembering to say it again, but never really having, uh, a set a real plan or a real yeah. set list and that kind of puts me in a pocket that I'm comfortable in. And yeah. now and what it took was seeing a lot of other stand-ups and realizing that they the form the the art form is not just punch set up and punch. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and Rory, Rory yeah. is one of those guys for me who's yeah. like respected by set up and punchline comedians, but has the energy of like you don't know what can happen. I'm not. I don't know what can happen, and that uh, that makes me excited to get on stage because that that activates the improviser in me, which I'm also good at and comfortable. Yeah. So if I could bring some comfort with me on stage into this new format, I really, really and. You know, I've always like hosted the improv show and like done yeah, the yeah. like warm up shit, and that's always been like the highlight. And I'm like, oh, I could bring that energy into a stand up set. And then the second someone's like, you have ten minutes, you'll get the light at nine. I need you off in ten minutes. I'm just dripping sweat. Yeah. Like, like, how am I gonna fuck it? And then I go up there and I do like eight ish minutes, see the light, get out of there, and I'm like, I think that was good. And pe- you know, I like I, and then I'm like. Oh, I can't believe how much I overthought that, like going into yeah, it. Yeah. I can't believe how much anxiety I had about this. Yeah, and I should say that there's a lot of I've interviewed 200 comedians on my podcast, good one, let's say, and like a lot of them are lazy. So don't that. Right, and then right. you you find a process that works for you, right? So it's like the benefit of writing jokes, unless you're going to be like, you know, Anthony Jeselnik type. I'm like standing here delivering jokes type comedians, and he, and he even he doesn't do that anymore. Is like really for a comedian starting out broadly defined. It's like internalize the rhythm of what jokes sound like. Right. Which right. you probably kind of already have. So that when you go up to write on stage, which is a term every comedian uses to describe 5,000 different act processes, <laughs> you you are writing in stage knowing the beats of a joke just so the audience feels like they're in a joke, right? All you're trying to do is, and it's not, this is exactly like improv, right? Which is like, the audience wants to feel like they're watching a show, not like they're in this sort of way station where they have this impulse to do something, right? And that's the same thing like an improv show. You can feel when they're like, the audience is like, wait, where, where, where is this headed? But not in an exciting way, but in a like lost way. Yeah, yeah. And a good improv show, like for the most part, you are like, oh, I'm in safe hands. This has a direction, even though we don't know what the direction is. And I think the same thing with stand-up, which is like, I'll, I'll say the exception after, which is like, oh, we're in a joke right now. Or, oh, we're on a topic right now. I know the rhythm that we're playing in. Right, right. Now you could subvert that. and Or you can be a comedian who... There's some comedians, and this is less to do with... This is just kind of like... Certain people have this superpower where they can just go on stage and be like, blah, like Janine Garofalo, right? Or like yes. Jen Kirkman. So it's, which is just like, they're going. And the audience is like, for whatever reason, on board, and the yeah. rhythms where you're the just grabbing lines. onto the the yeah. handle of the jet ski, the water ski thing, without your skis on or anything, and you're like, I'm gonna get some water up my nose, but it's <laughs> yeah. gonna be a thrill. Yeah, yeah. Those are There's good examples so many- for that. <laughs> yeah. There's only so many people can pull that off, but I do think it's like the biggest difference I think between a, a stand-up and other comedians is like vision and perspective, right? It's like really. Jokes are jokes are a conduit for perspective and jokes are a conduit so the audience understands sort of like the rules the comedian operates in, sort of like their POV, they, their yeah, the, yeah. The, the the world that this ten minute set, this forty minute set is taking place. But in. An au- yeah. yeah, an audience doesn't need to be like or whatever, right? right now right. I'm doing John Mulaney by accident. But like they don't need the <laughs> cadence, but it's like and I and I personally like get uh like when I see a comedian doing too much of a jokey cadence, I'm like, well, you're spoon feeding an audience. You're you're telegraphing. You're being like, this is a joke, so you should laugh here. It's like, right? It's much more exciting when a comedian's like, I have my rhythm. 
we're going to lock in together, right? Yeah. And I think it's, and improv is not different, right? But it's sort of like, one, an improv audience is a little bit, there's two types of improv audiences. Some are like, we're here, we're part of the show too. We're here to support you, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the other improv audience who's, who goes to, goes to improv like it's a magic show where they're like, that, you wrote that. Right, right. That's pretty. So you have to win those people over. But like, <laughs> I think like stand up, I think, and maybe it's increasingly so, or maybe we'll get to this, which is like, it will feel like you're improv- improvising with a partner, but the partner is the audience. Like yes. that's kind of the goal. Yes. I And it's, while we're just on this topic real quick, uh, you, improv and stand up, it's funny all through my 20s in New York, this would be the early aughts. I was cutting my teeth doing improv. Had a lot of friends who were stand-ups just from career stuff and yep. running into them at you know uh, downtown shows and shit. And the disdain that stand-ups had towards improv was like comical. And, and I'm fine with it. I love being in like – but it is ironic that – do 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 standouts know that crowd work is improv? Like, <laughs> oh, like, and now it's like all they post is improv. A, a lot of standups are constantly posting improv, literal improv scenes yeah, yeah, that they yeah. have with strangers. Bad in the crowd. improv scenes. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, completely status blown. Uh, know who, what, and where. <laughs> you know, no minimal yes anding even. Um, but you I, watch it, and I'm like, you are the guys who dunked on me for doing improv for a decade. And yeah. there is something funny about like. If you're the best stand-up comic in the world, you are a mil- a millionaire in a household name. If you're the best improviser in the world, you are Andy Daly. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like great fucking mega yeah, yeah. talented guy. But my mom, my mom knows who Dave Chappelle is. Like, yeah, my yeah, mom yeah. doesn't know. Andy Even people Daly. don't watch or like a comedian will know who the single, like who the greatest comedian, who the biggest right. comedians are right now. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 have you done crowd work just to see? Yeah, I mean, it comes so easy to me. Yeah. It comes really easy to me because also that's kind of my sense of humor is making yeah. fun of people and them not getting too mad. I have some superpower. I think it's because like I have like some cartoon face and like yeah. I'm I'm not traditionally handsome that people can take fucking shots from me and they don't hate it. I think yeah. I have like big brother energy and they're like, yes, I am a fucking dumpy cunt, Mr. Gamers. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not the crowd work I'm doing. All right. Who in the crowd's a dumpy? C- You're like, I'm great. I'm great at crowd work. And that's your example. <laughs> yeah. You're like, <laughs> quick review of Gamers' crowd work album. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a type of crowd work that is not being done right now. Like so much crowd work that's being done is sort of like short reactive stuff. And both the audience and the comedian, it's like, is looking for an out like it's truly being like oh, what's your job and what's the quickest way for neither of us can do it because we want it to be a clip but like the crowd work that i like that few people are doing is like a it's kind of like um a, like you're almost like working the room yeah there's a like, like todd barry uh, todd barry's uh he did one special like or that. there's a this comedian robin harris who uh he passed away before it happened he, the movie baby's kids was based on one of his routines uh. and He's so funny. He's so funny. He um he also played uh, Slick Dick Willie in uh, Do the Right Thing. He improvised all his lines. But so he was this um legendary comedian, legendary black comedian from like when the idea of a black comedy club was being invented in the mid eighties, late eighties. He he was like he was placed as the master of ceremonies at this place called the 
Comedy Act Theater? Is that the one that's in LA? Anyway, I think so. And so every night he would host. For him, hosting would be like walking through and like, what's that haircut? Like making fun of everybody. He has yeah. um, uh, like and and then eventually celebrities come and the joke I write about in the book. He goes, um, he he saw Magic Johnson and he'd be like, Hey, Magic, you want to come sit in the colored section? Because like to him, Magic Johnson was an example of a person who only hung out with white people. But <laughs> there's and you can find a ver- a clip of him on YouTube doing a version of this, and I can imagine you like treating it like a party right where you're like walking through yeah and be like what are you drinking like like truly like um and you it's so natural for you like that like and that to me is better and you're better suited for it than like what i'm seeing when i see crowd work right right and that's what that's what appeals to me that's fun that's like hosting a large party that the crowd is paying to be at and you just kind of wander around and I, that's what I'm trying to get at so that yeah. I could because I would like to tour solo. I mean, I've done my, my podcast on tour, but that always requires like a guest. I would love to tour and kind of do what is a, a, basically some chunks of stand up, some Q&A and, and a bunch of audience interaction. I could fill an hour doing that. And that would I would enjoy that. Like yeah. and that and that's the needle I'm trying to thread is like I want something that both me and the, the both the audience and I will enjoy yeah. and like not there's not a ton of overlap there you know <laughs> like, so, like yeah I think so but also you want to give the audience because you have fans that want a certain thing from you I think the audience Q and A is like I actually think underrated as a backdoor way of like generating material like it right. is sort of you know because you'll either get one or two things which is one who like someone be as, will be like what's the time you like um went too far to like get something to eat or whatever. And then like, and not too far as distance, but too far as like, you shouldn't have done that. It was like 3 a.m. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. And then they, and you're like, oh, I have a story about that. And you wouldn't even think this is a story, but the audience is telling you to go in this direction. Yeah. Um, I've done it a or, few times when I sold out like my podcast. I was like, they're like, do you want to do a second show? I'd be like, on tour, I'd be like, yeah, but the second show will be just me with a Q&A with the crowd. And so I ended up doing it in a couple of cities. And it was some people knew funny story. Tell the story of your first blowjob, yeah. you know. And the, but also other people were like, "Hey, my boyfriend and I are blah," you know, like just throw. And I'm like, "Oh, this is just people are throwing me." Pr-. And then it's like I'm getting a bunch of suggestions for yeah. short one person improv scenes, more or less. Yeah. yeah. And then that's how you could. I'm like, I was, when I suggested this, I was like, "Well, this is kind of supposed to be like I'm a coaching session with Gabrus for for like, to yeah, help this- you become a perfect." <laughs> because I, it's one of my favorite things to do. Though, like, it's hard to figure out how to thread it with, like, the rest of my job of, like, being a person who, like, critiques comedy. But, like, I do feel like I now have so much perspective on how different comedians made it, how different comedians' perspective, that, like, when a comedian is, like, trying to either, like, figure out what their voice is or how to get on stage or or at a much higher level, it's, like, very exciting to be, like... Oh, well, have you thought about that? This comedian does blah, 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 blah. This comedian will like go on stage with nothing just and knowing they're like the because I'm always trying to. And this is the same thing with the book, which is like trying to break apart this idea that there's only one way of doing it and there's only one way of seeing it. Right. So it's like, oh, there's a million different processes you can take that at the end, you'll be a comedian. That and seems like you. And that's so funny you say this because. I think it's because I'm old, yeah, uh, oldish that you know I grew up watching 
Bud Friedman's Evening at the Improv every morning before school. And that was like how I got into stand up was watching A&E for one hour yeah, every yeah, day yeah. before <laughs> high school in the mid to late 90s. So my idea of stand up and, and who I like. But now stand up has been so blown up in a way. And honestly, a lot of this stuff, like with like influencers and front facing uh, video uh, comics yeah. getting to do stand up, I'm like. I'm I'm putting I'm making stand up too precious in my head. Yeah. And there are are people who are wildly successful whose shit I do not like at all and maybe I'll say names eventually on this pod but I I I was like why am I restricting myself? I'm holding this art form in such esteem that I'm yeah. like unwilling to participate in it. And then it people like Scoville, people like, uh, uh, you know, Sarah Squirm and like people who are just doing something that are like outside the norm to me. Oh, outside what I think the yeah, norm yeah, yeah. is. Speaking of norm, like Norm yeah, McDonald yeah. <laughs> uh, like, is a great example. Of, and I, and so then as I see other people and I'm like, oh, well, what the fuck am I? Why am I like, no, the only way to do this art form that I don't do yet <laughs> is a very specific. It's like, I'm gatekeeping myself. Like I'm like getting ahead of what other people yeah, might yeah, yeah. say. And then you go and like another person, I, another standup I really like Moses storm. You got, I watch Moses do like a 10 minute set. And it's like, it's mostly about like a guy's beret in the crowd and it's good. And I'm like, see, this is like I could do this, but in my head yeah. I'm like he's a stand up and I'm like, "Oh, no, no, no. This is shit that is like completely manageable." Yeah. You know, and that's it's it's like, you know, I often go back and forth like when I think about stand up, it's useful to me to think about how like other art forms just to be like, well, like people had these rules of what paintings needed to be like and right, then certain things right. happened and those rules were broken and like so it's like Jackson Pollock was like, this is what I think a painting should be like, right? And right. and I'm sure there's people who saw that or like, I want to be like that. But I've studied how to make it look, that tree look just like trees or whatever. And it's like, art to be an artist, regardless of to be a stand-up, is to be like, I... I'm going to express myself first. That is the goal, not to adhere to the rules of it. The rules are only useful... If they help you, right? You the rules provide a context, so you're like, oh, I like if if there were no rules and you wanted to stand up, you might be like, I literally don't know what happens when stand up happens. What do you do? Right. You're like, yeah. Someone's like, oh, the rules usually are there's a microphone or something, right? So then, um, those rules help you. We're like, oh, I, you know, like if you take a stand up class, I imagine they they try to explain like the basics of like what jokes are because if you don't know where to start, but like you kind of do know where to. You know, like where to be in the middle, right? But you're like, you know what it'll feel like when you're like, I'm doing stand up, which will be like what it feels like for you to do improv, which right, is like right. you're flowing with the audience. I'm in the pocket. Like, it's working. Yeah. yeah. And it's not about any one joke. It's about the space that you're creating. You know, like I talk about how jokes are overrated and because and, you know, I talk about the the theories that exist about stand up and I uh, about comedy broadly. And I, I subscribe to this theory called play theory, which is. Um, essentially, like, it is about the state that you're in with the audience. It is not about the single joke punchline up and down, because I don't think that's what it's like to be in a comedy audience. Because, like, the a really good show, it's it's rolling. You're, people are laughing just at the middle part, even though something funny wasn't saying. Like, if right. that's the goal, and you, because you've done improv, you know what that feels like. So in many ways, it's like, it's like you don't have to think about 
jokes as the end goal, right? You don't think you need to think of a punchline as the end goal. It's almost like you need to think of a setup that puts you in the space to play. Right. And the end goal is the crowd laughing. Like the end goal is there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And And you're connecting with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It makes, it makes, it makes a lot of (laughs) sense. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like you, it's like I could, because I imagine it's like I listen to this podcast. I listen to other podcasts. It's like you've had like five episodes about sandwiches or whatever, right? And it's like you could do a one person show about sandwiches. Hypothetically, if someone goes like, What's your history with sandwiches, right? If someone used it to Q&A, someone said that, I bet you could talk about that for an hour. I don't know if... Yeah, I don't know if so, it would be like banging material the whole time, but, but I could easily fill right? an hour, right? yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you just need to be in the space of like... And then, so then you do that, and then you just talk, and you like, what a comedian might do is like, record it, and be like, oh, that, that one phrase locked in. Right. Oh, maybe I can make a whole thing out of that one part of it. Like, what was I trying to say? Like... The, the most extreme process I talk about is like the Chris Rock process. So like Chris Rock bombed so much still. Like I've seen the first time I saw Chris Rock perform, I was like 19. He came to the comedy cellar to work on, or maybe 18, 17, I don't know, to work on the MTV Music Award monologue. And he bombed for 10 minutes and he's like, okay, bye. I was like, the show's going to be terrible. And then it was incredible, right? And then I saw him 15 years later, whatever, I'm a full adult. I'm at Night Train, the Weiss and Act show. And they're like, hey, everyone put away your phones. If we see your phone out, we're going to throw you out. And I was like, oh, who's, who's it going to be, right? And they're like, okay, here's Chris Rock. And Chris Rock comes out, and he's wearing, a, he's wearing his coat. He doesn't take his coat off. He's talking super quiet. He's not making eye contact at all with the audience. He's looking down. And he just says, he's talking only about his divorce the entire hour. And he just, like, says something, and it either gets a reaction or it doesn't. If, if it does get a reaction, if the audience laughs, he then cuts off the laugh. He goes, so what else? What else? So then the momentum complete. So he's bombing essentially on purpose. Yes, he's not Chris rocking <laughs> it up yet. So he's, And he's he, doing it just so he knows what actually does not need Chris Rock to sell it. These are ideas that can sell themselves. Yeah. So when he Chris rocks them. Yeah, when it, what it works in a vacuum in quotes, yes. like if it like works just on paper, then imagine Chris Rock doing it, and imagine one of those things that gets a laugh, and Chris Rock repeating it fifteen times <laughs> yes, with stomping his foot, and you know, like I'm here for it. I'm here for it yeah. the whole way. One of the best and, of all time. Yeah, so, yeah, and like I as a so now not all comedians like bombing. That it is hard. There's some comedians, but I think like being afraid of bombing too much, like. A right amount is good because it makes you like, I got to work. Otherwise, I I'm going to bomb. I don't want to bomb. Scare. Yeah, I'm trying to but deliver something you, nice. Yeah. But the a lot of bad comedy happens when a comedian's like, I never want to bomb ever again. I essentially have a traumatic relationship with bombing. So I'm going to create this defensive armor where I where whatever works, I'm going to just crush 10 minutes. And then not and the audience doesn't know who I am. I don't know who the audience is. They will think I'm funny, but they won't remember a name. But at least I won't let myself vulnerable. So it's like, but really the vulnerability is like where the comedians we think of as like the great comedians and also like the comedy that lasts with us has some version. And it doesn't have to be just like, oh, that was so vulnerable. They talked about. It doesn't have to be personal. It doesn't have to be like introspective or deep even. It's just, you know that the person, this is pure, like uh, whatever that might mean. Like it. Yeah. If you look like when Rory's improvising, a lot of it, it's like about like, 
I feel like I talked to him and it's like this joke about porn that was like so specific, but it's like such a mind of a person not filtering what they're telling people. Right. And you're right. like, that is scary, right? Like, it's not like revealing it. It's not sad, but it truly is just sort of like, it's almost kind of like it's dumb, but it's exactly like his brain being brought to the audience's brain. That's an option. Or like the, the example I like to think is like Christian Shaw will like have premises that like, is no one's idea of what comedy looks like, but it's exactly her premise and goes, this is what I think is funny. This is who my, who I am in my soul. Yeah. And even though it seems silly to put forward exactly what your soul is, is a scary thing to do. If it was scary, more people would do it. Right, right, right. Exactly. The, the harsh, uh, sounds of quiet is, uh, is just so difficult to deal with that you have to. (laughs) Yeah. We own them athletic greens. Oh, my digestion and focus and everything is feeling better. Um, you know, longtime listeners, we've been talking about AG1 for however many years on this podcast now. I'm still on my AG1. I've been traveling a little bit. Um, I got my travel packs with me. I have my uh, bag in my home base. I am not missing my daily AG1. It's a super simple, easy uh, like way to get your multivitamins in. Uh, every scoop includes uh, pre- prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes. All that stuff I need that isn't in traditional multis. Um, so I get it all, including vitamin Bs, my vitamin Cs, a little zinc for immune health. Um, I love it. I got myself, I got a few friends, um, actually I'm mad at them, they didn't use my AG1 promo code, but I got them started on Athletic Greens as a morning uh, routine because I sold them the same way I'm trying to sell you guys. It's just a simple, basic, easy step. You start your day off with smashing down, before you even have coffee, smash down your AG1 and then boom, you're in. You've got your uh, vitamins, your prebiotics, probiotics, ready to start the day with a basic, easy intro to a healthy lifestyle, interesting way to start your day. Nice, simple, healthy. It works, okay? AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long, truly. I, uh, I hope they never leave advertising my podcast because I actually really enjoy their product. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. So try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash mighty. That's drinkag1.com slash mighty. D-R-I-N-K-A-G, the number one, dot com slash M-I-G-H-T-Y. Check it out. Got to make sure my friends, next time they get Athletic Greens, they use my promo code. Do you struggle to save money every month? Let me guess. Yes, since pretty much everyone has that problem. But with Rocket Money, you can quickly identify all those sneaky subscriptions that keep charging you month after month. Did you accidentally hold on to an old meditation app or... Uh, are you are you have like a double booking of a streamer because you moved in with your partner and now you're paying? I'm leaving out brand names here, but that's exactly what happened to me. And cancel any of the ones you don't want to use anymore. It's an easy way to start saving money. Over eighty percent of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Money that's just going to waste. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. No long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all that work for you. You can even negotiate to lower your bills by up to 20%. All you got to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Woo! With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total savings so far. Dang, homie. Any more money than that, and you can buy yourself any app you want and trash it. Stop wasting my money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash mighty. That's rocketmoney.com slash mighty. R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash M-I-G-H-T-Y. Mighty. A lot of what we're talking about is the art form expanding yeah. and the tent of stand-up getting way larger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what what Cat Cohen is doing is stand-up. What you know, like, and there's it, it's just a lot of new kind of ideas, and that is appealing to a lot of people. But I think a lot of uh, you know people who've been in the business who've been doing it for a long time yeah. frown upon that because it's like yeah. no, that's you, but it it reeks of like you know. No, no shotgun formation in football. That's not real football. California, like five wide receivers. That's not, you know, it, it starts to feel like, no, it's just working for them. Yeah. So, and so I, I, even I feel the reticence to be like, I don't know if that's real stand up. And I'm like, but wait, you don't even want to do real stand up. Like, and that, oh, it's exactly that, that little thing where it's like, well, I don't know if this counts as stand- the, the real stand-up. It's like, you don't even want to be a real stand-up when you hold yourself to a standard that you don't <laughs> apply. To. Right, right. And it's so complicated. And I guess that's just me, like, projecting onto other people. You know, it's like me projecting onto, like, Brian Regan seeing my yeah. set and being like, that's not stand-up. That's not stand-up. You know, like, and it absolutely shattering me, you know? But it's so open now. It's so different. Like, I I did, like, a, I did like a run at a run. I did a night at... Uh, the improv main stage and there was like 12 great comics yeah and like craig robinson came up and put a fan on and played the piano and did like random fucking like almost like little sketches he did like seven little sketches yeah. in 10 minutes kumail came up and did like just new material uh adam conover came up and did what you would think adam conover <laughs> might do comedy about it was funny it's energetic. It's about public transportation, you know, and then like Moses Storm comes up and fully does an improvised set. Uh, J- you know, Jeremiah Watkins does what and and you're like, oh, the, like someone came up and played like a, like a full 90 seconds of a song and kind of weirdly moved to it. And it and it weirdly worked and it set a tone. And I'm like, this is, you know, because I came up doing like Wild and Out and uh, Guy Code. So I was around a lot of black comics yeah, a long yeah. time, you know, and you, you would hear like stool humpers and stuff like that. You would hear these like, and it's like 90 seconds of music and reacting to it out of a 10 minute set is weird on paper, but it worked. So then why yeah. is it wrong? Like, and then in my head, and I'm holding this to like a fake idea of what I think stand up. I'm like, not everyone's going to be Stephen Wright, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I, but it's and also like when Stephen Ray was doing that, I'm sure there are guys in Boston be like, that guy's not doing real stand up. Right? right, right. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, I think it's a few things, right? I think one of it, it's like I always say the rules, a lot of the rules of comedy were created by like 
failed road dogs in the 80s who were resentful that people who were successful. So then they created rules that they beat into younger comedians because that that essentially built a value system around themselves. But right. they're like, real comics are guy like guys like me, not like whoever was famous, right? And I think that is part of it. I think um I remember around Nanette came out, Moses Storm uh, not Moses Storm, Mo, Mo, Moshe Kasher was like, uh so many comedians are so insecure that what we do even is art that they will attack anyone doing it differently. And I think that is then supported by the scarcity mindset of like Hollywood in general, which is yes. like, which is, which is legitimate, which is if you're not relevant, we actually might stop working with you. Like it actually does happen. So it, it's not wild for like a, a, you know, like a, like what we think of as comic-y comic, who like was really good in the, you know, even 20 years ago, like, and like had Comedy Central presents and was like the, one of the dudes or whatever. And this is mostly, I think of mostly guys when I think of this type of comedian. Yeah. I'm thinking leather jackets when you say this. So I think of, there are hacky female comedians as well, but like the hackiest comedians are these type of dudes. And it's like, so, and then they see a person singing a song or whatever. And they're like, that's not real stand up. And I, and the truth is, they're either paranoid or correct that this thing is going to replace them. Right. Now, they could do the opposite, which is like, oh, this is where it's going. How can I reconcile what I do into a world like this? Is this does this open things up for me? Hey, but that's, that demands a certain amount of self-awareness and reflection that is hard to do. Especially when you've been doing for a long time. Yeah, agree. But I crush every night. Why do I got to do this now? It's like, you don't have to. But if you want to have fans like that, you might need to do what they like. And no yeah. one, and, and if you've, and especially if you like came up at a time where like the audience was resented and not a time where audiences, like I think one of the best things that like improv and UCB brought to stand up was an, not necessarily resenting the audience right away. Not kicking off with an antagonistic relationship with your <laughs> yeah. crowd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, and if you, you know, and look, that's, I go back and forth because sometimes crowds do suck, and I, and I but I do, if I was talking to an audience, I'd be like, this is what you got to do to be a better audience. But to comedians, like, the audience is doing their best. They've never been an audience before. So, right. like, <laughs> work together. And, like, you got into this because, well, there's a variety of reasons you got into it. The truth is some people got into it because they like the feeling of being funny, right? And they like right. the feeling of laughter. Some people got into it because they like comedy. And so the idea of like being able to be expansive is exciting. But like to me, the comedians that are most exciting are the ones who um, understand the potential of a more broad definition of what they can do, which doesn't right. mean they have to stop doing if you know, like, as I, you know, as I say, like, there are still people who paint realist paintings. There's still buildings that look like classic architecture. Right. There's been there are still mil- like road dog grindy setup yeah, punch. That's that's stand up loud. Yeah. yeah. And it's not going to go away. Right. And like you're saying, the person who like resents the guitar comic briefly or whatever, it's like, well, if you're OK with selling the amount of tickets you're selling as doing you, then you don't have you can be your pure format or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of what I need to get in my head, too, of like, yeah, I'm like, I don't need to do shoot in South Africa and Baltimore <laughs> and cut it together for my hour long. Like, 
I could just go on tour and sell a hundred tickets to small venues. And that is what I would be happy yeah. doing right now. Yeah. If I blew up, that would be fucking great. But what, like why I, I, I'm aiming, you know, you're like, you get in your head of like, well, if, if guitar comics can do it, like now I'm a dead man in the water. It's like, no, you have people at your show. The guitar yeah. comic has people at their show. Like it's all Nanette is a great example. Cause I feel like when Nanette hit, it was a kind of trigger point for a lot of other kind of yeah. dialogue around because it was already we were getting into like relax like relax guys we're just supposed to be telling jokes like uh and but it also got into a lot of like these guys these people mostly guys getting podcasts and voicing their opinions a lot and seeing rewards for having similar opinions to their listeners or their patrons and then you find that now they get not only do they have the ego of getting laughs, now they have the ego of having like supporters who agree with their perspective. And then that expands outside of comedic yeah. premises into politics, social commentary, uh, um, pop culture. And then you find these comics who will get. And I'm I'm one of them. I'm up yeah. my own ass about being a bit of a tastemaker and having I like I think I have good uh, strong yeah. opinions like a lot of comics do. But I don't think I'm still just trying to make people laugh in the end, you know what I mean? Like I and I do think that there's been this new like newfound thing and uh, it's a two-way street between the audience and the performer that we both yeah. hoisted this upon the format in that it's like I I don't agree with this person's politics. And it's like, but are they, are they funny? Like, are you what? Like, here's something I'll say here. Shane Gillis's hour is good. <laughs> a lot of people like Shane Gillis is an easy, the, the example most people bring up because Shane is a much better comedian than the other people that he like hangs out with. Yes. Yes. So it's like, easy the to other be people like that he's caught up in that yeah. he gets like painted with the same broad strokes, but he's a, a very good stand up. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Also, he, um, it's easier to say once someone's better at it, but like there's a, there are other communities of that ilk who have embraced the potential of like, I co of the, the dark side money of like, let's like not, let's let some people think I'm like, like a pro Trump comedian just so I can get all their money, even though my politics aren't that. But a lot of those comedians became worse because they were just playing to this audience that wanted them to like comment about how the vaccine was silly or something. Yeah. But like, um, the, the thing about that, this idea of the politics, what I find often that happens, if not more often, is the reverse happens, where a comedian, where an audience member will find a person funny and then be like, I guess I agree with their politics, which is like a funny thing to think about. But like, <laughs> like it's, it happens much more often because you're sort of, you don't know what a lot of most people don't go into a show, be it Shane Gillis or sort of anyone on Netflix, knowing like, oh, I heard I read this article about them in the New Republic and blah, blah. They're just like, oh, it seems like a person who does stand up. Yeah, and they watch yeah. it's like, this is really funny. And then they're like, what do you think of him? I was like, you know, oh, actually, he's alt right. I'm not saying he is, but like to say that. They're like, ah, I guess I'm alt right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Think? Like I, well, I adopt, I adopted everything about this. Then I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Shang Wang special. I agree with him on all politics. Now it's like I don't even know what they are. <laughs> yeah, I just like I like. He said he talked about this issue that I care about, so I'm going to repeat it. Like I remember Elon Musk showed up at a Dave Chappelle show, and everyone booed him. And I remember people being like, 
what? Dave Chappelle fans and Elon Musk fans are like a complete circle Venn diagram. And it's like, no, that's what you think of it. But to a Dave Chappelle fan, they don't, they think Dave Chappelle is not like an Elon Musk person. He's like, and, but you're like, it's not an outsider. It's like, you're in it. You're like, Dave's funny. What he says is cool. I trust he has the views on these issues that I think he has. So it's, you can be like, what? Dave's not ex-phobic. And you're like, but it's, it's like, how do you know? It's like, well, come on, he's Dave. He's a good guy. <laughs> like, like, okay. Well, from an outsider, a person who might say all these things to them might seem like a bad guy. Now, <laughs> I, have, I don't know what's in his heart. This is all, and we don't need to get to that. But the point being like, you know, Nanette had so many things working both for it and against it. And I think, one, it's like, it is radical. It's a radical thing to do, to be like, I'm going to just stop being funny and you didn't realize I was going to do that. That's <laughs> like, no one, no one does that, right? And um, Now more comedians will do it. Look, Dave Chappelle does it now. Dave Chappelle will go giant stretches without being funny at all. Yeah, tell some uh, long, prolonged story about a pimp to get like yeah. a... <laughs> yeah, or like even he did 846, right? Which was a, oh, right. a, a yeah. impressive thing, but like that was less funny than Annette was. And, um, but also... Um, I like to me, Nanette was interesting because of that formal decision to like revoke laughs. But I know it gets associated as like, like post Trump electing, like virtual singing, virtual virtue singling comedy, which like, I think like no, com- I don't know many comedians that like can do stand up, especially where they're just virtue singling for an hour. That like, Maybe well, I think audience... it's, it's almost stand up is almost exclusively virtue signaling. Yeah. Just depending on what your virtues are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. You're signaling yeah, your yeah. own virtues more or less. But I like, meant without jokes. Yeah. Right, I mean, like, yeah, I without, think yeah. The only comedians I think of like truly being like, we're here for just vibes is like a comedian like Gerard Carmichael, who's who's trying to do like a third thing, which is like, let's redefine what we think of a show is. Yeah. But like, that's because. But no one is like really, no one's actually doing a TED talk. No one's doing like you showed up to a comedy show and be like, here's a slideshow presentation just about like Me Too, the Me Too movement. Yeah, here's some like belief system I have and I'm going to sell you on it. Most people, because most people doing comedy had to come up as a comedian. So the, the desire to do that is, it is so hard to make it as a comedian that you have to have something propelling you to do it. And mo- part of it is that you like saying things funny out loud and having audience response. Some of it is family money. Some of it is family <laughs> money. But so even Hannah Gatsby, like, you don't do a show where you're like, this is the problem with stand up if you don't think and care about stand up, right? It's right. Like, yeah. You don't do that being like, I hate stand up so much. It's so boring and stupid. You're like, you do it. You clearly like, you don't like a lot of the same conventional wisdom that you push back against. Like, I think, I think almost everyone, like the example I compare uh, Hannah Gatsby to in the book is Patrice O'Neill, right? Though you can't think of two people that I think a lot of people would put so far apart from each other. <laughs> right. Right. And, and if, Patrice was Ona- if Patrice was alive now, I'm sure he might, he would hate Hannah Gatsby. But they both, like, there's a documentary about Patrice called uh, Killing is Easy. And Patrice would be like, I can kill any night. It's easy. It's stupid. Hacks can kill. Killing is boring. What's interesting is like really pushing people. 
Here's uh, my perspective on things. There, this is a guy who does it. He, <laughs> yeah, and he does it. Now, he does it by being like, women should be subservient to men or whatever. <laughs> but he's doing the same thing, which is like, I don't need to kill. I got a point I need to make. That's what Hannah Gatsby did. Now, H- Hannah doesn't dress like Patrice does and like have that certain sort of like masculine gravitas in that same way. But like their instinct is the same, which is like how people define stand-up is too limiting for me. So fuck that. Because I got into comedy to be like, fuck a regular job where I have preconceived notions of what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Man, it's so funny because the comics I loved coming up too, like I, because I listened, I came up listening to Opie and Anthony and and all shock jocks and stuff. So in in my teens, I was like a diehard Opie and Anthony fan and then a politically incorrect fan. So I'm like, you know, I was like, I loved Norton, Geraldo, Patrice, Colin Quinn. Like I loved all the, I mean, I still love uh, a lot of those people. Uh, A few of them have aged poorly uh, despite uh, everything. But I've always like, I've always looked to those people. Jumping back to something you said earlier, you mentioned like, people get their politics from someone they like yeah. or whatever. Something I've noticed a few, and this is just a minor thing, but I, if I'm trying to find a tangential, uh, tenuous connection here on like the action boys podcast. We don't have a ton of listeners, but they're pretty loyal. We have a few thousand. Uh, they, they agree with a lot of us, uh, with a lot of the stuff we say about yeah. movies and stuff, but when they don't, uh, when we don't agree, they don't agree with us. It really seems to fuck them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, wait, wait, wait. You don't like the lo- the movie Logan, but but I like the movie Logan, and and I like you guys. And it's like this has no bearing on our dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> like we just said, it's a subjective form. But it, the way it breaks people, it kills people that we don't yeah. love the new Marvel movies. Like it really uh, fucks with our crowd that they're like. Oh, here they go, just shitting on special effects again. And it's like they're all really worked up about it. And I want to be like, it doesn't matter what we like. But I understand that. Like if you was if you grew up like loving Will Ferrell and Will Ferrell's like, I hate The Simpsons, you'd be like, Yeah. But but I love you and The Simpsons. And it's like <laughs> But I think that's like that's partly like I think the ideal dynamic is like what your relationship would be with your friends, right? Which is like, you don't have to agree with your friends and then that's fun. But I do think partly because of fandom being passed through the internet, it's much more one-to-one and you're like, you are me. You're not my friend, John. You are literally me. You're John and you're me. So when I listen to podcasts, it's a conversation I am having. And so I do think right, when you don't right. agree, I'm like, then who am I? And it's like, you're you. You're a friend. Whatever. And it. And I do think um, that the, that's an internet problem. I do think like the internet has made it so the identifying with a comedian or any artist is it like comes with the perils of their personality now yeah. too. Where it's like, oh, you like Dua Lipa's music? Well, did you know that she was in a hit and run accident where she like di- I, this is not true? She like yeah, dinged, like dinged another person's car or something, and you're like wait, why am I on trial for that? It's like, you said you liked Dua Lipa. I'm like, I don't fundamentally co-sign like everything. Like, I I love Dave Chappelle. I don't agree with a lot of his opinions. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's making it harder to watch, not because I disagree with him, but because he digs in in a not funny way on something I disagree with. So yeah. it's like a double hit to me. But that doesn't mean I'm writing him off as a not a talented stand-up or not a funny no. person anymore. Like, 
but it feels like now there's like this element to like everyone has to be perfect and not necessarily perfect like it's a sliding scale of what perfect is based yeah. on the audience member based on the consumer of like oh i loved killers of the flower moon but i thought these five things were wrong with it so i can't and it's like wait i like that's not how art works like you're that but it's not with, delivered with, for you yeah but it is this is the problem this is right, like right. Th- this the problem is like almost all arguments that exist around comedy probably all art forms the actual it is a Correlation without causation, which is like actually the real factor is the internet has completely skewed ha- our relationship to the content we consume. So, so yes. that we, it's even if we wouldn't say this explicitly, it you go on TikTok and you're like, well, everything on TikTok I like. So why would I want you know like so I do think people are actively trying to prune things. Like I do think, oh I I, I there's this feeling I watch too much stuff. There's so many comedians I like. I actually. Oh, he does. This person disagrees with me on that. Ah, I don't need them anymore. And right. Because the there's an, it feels there's an abundance. There's an yeah. abundance of stuff where you're like, great, I don't have to watch this anymore because I yeah. don't, I, I've realized there's some stuff I don't like about it. Thank God. Yeah. And I do think that, I think you, you know, the, the problem, there's so many problems with gatekeepers, obviously, but there was obviously, I do think something beneficial to like, we all watch the same stuff. And then as a result, we'll have different opinions about, you know, Chris Rock, and then we will, we can argue even, or different positive opinions. And then we can have a conversation next to each other. We're like, blah, blah, blah. But like, I do think we are turning all artists, comedians sort of being so singular gets the most of it, which is like, oh, the audience is just becoming like a reflection of the comedian in a way that is, um, creates sort of feedback loop that I don't think is like conducive to comedians. Right. Like, especially as, as they get more famous, like, they are only appealing to sort of a certain person. And I think that's probably not as good. And like, but there's no end in sight of that. I don't know how to fix it. That's an internet problem. That's not an art problem. Right. And, but also it's like, it's an economics problem too, because yeah. the person, the performer needs a fan base, needs people to that so that they can keep doing it and keep the lights on in their house. So it becomes this complicated relationship of like, well, I don't know if my crowd would like this, you know what I mean? And now people are like, now you're performing like obviously we are the end goal is making the audience laugh slash like you slash want to come back or, you know, but if you are like, uh, if, if you're aiming exclusively for that, you're losing your sense of self too, in a way like, and it there's, it's, it's a, it's a wild time out there too. And I think like Patreon is amazing and I thank God for it or else I'd be unhoused at this point. Uh, but, it is also like you're needing less and less of yeah. a crowd. And, and I think it's cool. It splintered the art form in a way where if you're like a really great single panel comic artist that people that, and you got 400 yeah. people that are willing to pay, you can live off, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, and that's really exciting. But I do think that makes us kind of like aim for the targets that would work in a weird way, rather than like, what what do I want to say? It's more yeah. like, what do people want to hear? Yeah. 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 I, I think that's totally true. And I think, and it's always a balance. I think comedians are always balancing between the audience that trusts them and they trust and allows them to sort of expand and feel safe and the audience outside of that. And I think who pushes back on them and, and demands them expand their thinking, right? All comedians are, at least stand up, we're always trying to figure that out. And, the there's perils in sort of too much safety 
there's perils and too much antagonism. Right. Like where you're just combative, you're not doing anything, right? So it's hard. And I do think um, it becomes worse when the thing that your audience wants from you is like actually not even what you want to express, but just sort of a thing that they decided you are. You are this to me. You don't have, if you don't do that, I'm not going to pay you for it. I'm paying for this access. And you're like, I guess, you know, like audiences are a reflection of their crowds, right? So it's like, you know, we're on your message board using words, these words, that's the shit we like. Yeah, you Start better use this words. in your set. Yeah. And exactly. you're like, oh, I don't even have a problem with these people. But like, that's, and, you know, comedians are, you know, I, I don't think this is out of step to say they're a, they are a needy bunch. Yes. Uh, well, so, I, I, a majority of us got into it for the, for, cause so, needing attention or laughter or. Yeah. Love. Yeah. So then it, so it becomes, it is, a the goal with the book is like, I, I say better audiences, better, you know, better, uh, better ingredients, better pizza and, and comedy is made of made up from the audience. So like better audience, better comedy. So oh. it's like, so if I can make both the comedians and the audience think a little bit deeper about this, maybe the work itself become deeper because of the loop. Like, I don't just, I don't just like, I'll go to shows and critique audiences and be like, they're, they're into this too much. They need to be like, yeah. now, what value does it have? I don't know. But like, <laughs> but right, I like, think open your minds up guys. <laughs> yeah. I on, think and yeah. right now, right now, audiences are still remembering how to be an audience, like still post pandemic. They're still remembering how to be in public period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's wild. And I'm like, no, they're still figuring out. Like, it's hard to process, and this is a, a space, and, like, they're doing their best, but, like, because I remember what comedy was like not so long pre-pandemic, and, like, it was really, like, thriving, and lots of different comedians can do that, and, like, killing didn't just look like one thing, and people can really go out on a limb. Um, so that's the goal. It's like, I want to go get back there <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? Well, th this feels like a natural time to, like, get into plugging the comedy book here. So t talk to us uh Talk to my shithead listeners about uh, about the book. Yeah, the book's called Comedy Book. It's a book. It's eleven chapters. Each chapter is an idea of comedy broadly defined. It's somewhat abstract. So, like a chapter is about timing, but it's not about like when you say a joke. It's about sort of the timing in which you say when it's when in the context of time are you saying your joke? How close to a national tragedy? How comedy? How we use comedy to process tragedies? Right. Um, then global tragedies. But then there's a chapter called Connection, which is like how I and other people might use comedy to process personal tragedies. Or there's a chapter about truth, right? Which was a sort of abstract idea, I thought, but now it's an extremely relevant idea because of the hostage. It's a hot, yeah, it's a hot topic <laughs> out of which nowhere. Which is like, yeah. how do you think, how, how to think about truth in comedy, which no matter what, we just like, that's a guy up there and he's just saying his thing or she's just saying her story and, or whatever. And then like, no, actually, like they, this is a, they're an artist and they created a thing based on their true life and what they decide, how they hedge it was, was based on how the audience responded to a story. And it's a much more sort of abstract understanding of truth. So like that, I'll explore that. Um, I, it's all kind of about comedy over the last 40 years. I think the book is pretty funny. I try to write jokes in it. So it's not just like an academic book, but like the goal is you, you leave it appreciated in comedy more deeply and like, I don't know if you'll laugh more often, but you'll, you'll, you'll be able to like more comedians. You'll be able to laugh deeper because you'll have a sort of more intellectual relationship, like a deeper intellectual relationship with it. Um, and also like, 
as I said, the goal of this book is for there to be more books like this. Like there has. This is the really shit we book. were saying right when when I started. Like I wish yeah. there were more people looking at it from this perspective that you are, and I'm glad that there's a book that can help people enrich both their performing and in consumption yeah. of stand up. Like just like you know, read a film theory book, and, <laughs> and maybe you get a deeper love out of movies. You know, if you're yeah. a fan, right? Like it makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Like I think it's like it's worked. Look, the thing I say is like. Uh, I actually cut out this joke because no one knew the hair care for men slogan, but I was like, I'm not just the CEO. I'm also a client or whatever, which is like, <laughs> I know it works. I've, I've been only thinking about comedy for 13 years or whatever. And I've not got, I find it continuously interesting where I know people, especially as you get older, you're like, all young comedians are bad. I only like these 10 people that have the exact same references. As I do. It's like, right. well, actually, what if you like to, comedian 15 years younger than because like they capture something new or they're your way for even understanding young people. And it's like, I, the, the, you know, I, I, it's like, you'll, you'll laugh, you'll, you'll like comedy more. Your money back is what I promise you. Though. <laughs> right. I've been told I can't get money back, but like smart. It's not a lot that you're going to get anyway. So do you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a book after all. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it's not uh, a Patreon or, podcast where you tickle yeah. the right wing uh, third rail, where you can make the real. That's, that's the next book. That's the that's joke the we always book. make on our Patreon too. It's like you know we could just start being uh, anti-vax and triple our money in like no time. Easy. Oh my god! It's I so have brutal. the. I before they all hid their Patreon numbers. I I wrote down the Patreon numbers, how much money those shows were making a month, and it's like, oh boy, that is wild. It's insane. It's brutal. It's crazy. Buy the much- book and learn how much money Tim Dillon makes a month. <laughs> I mean, I know. I kept track. A f- fellow Long Islander. A guy who, <laughs> again, a guy who I disagree with on just about every single thing he says, but I do still find him funny. <laughs> yeah, though, I think his his special is hindered by the fact of who his audience is. Yeah. A lot of times, if you get a bad audience, like, this is a, it's a can of worms of a conversation, but like, there are certain comedians whose audiences have gotten worse in my definition of what worse is. And yeah. their comedy is like, it's like, uh, it's, it becomes almost claptory for the other side. Right. It's right. like, it's struggle. It's, it's like struggling to like, yeah. Be themselves. Yeah. 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 Well, Jesse, uh, you have the podcast. Good one. Uh, yeah. about jokes, uh, and, uh, interviews with standups, which I'm a big fan of as well. So, Listeners, check Jesse out there. Check out his uh, book. He's an author now. And as for me, check out the aforementioned Action Boys, a Patreon podcast. Uh, Help me keep the lights on. And uh, as always, bye, shitheads. That was a hit down In a part of the world where there are no rules. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, guys. Holy I'm so pumped. I definitely have not watched this since I rented it on VHS in 92. Strangers united by the threat of death. We got all the fucking major players. Seagal. Vladimir Putin is a good man. Arnold. Here, come. Give it to me. I need you to cream pie me now. Stallone. People are loving this movie. It's actually, it's got a lot of heart. You're mentally irregular. <laughs> no. Somewhere, somehow, someone's gonna pay. I would fucking love for my wife to, like, see me rip a guy's throat out. But they didn't count on one thing. This movie's fucking insane. It's how you know it's a good movie. You have to do almost all the work yourself to figure it out. Oh, there's a fantasy component. There's some sword fighting. There's some lightning. 
Bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, bam. There's a new game in town. You wake up after a few years, and then you don't even know who you are anymore. We're going to be making Terminators. <laughs> We're going to make a really great deal with the Xenomorphs. <laughs> I don't hate them, but I pity the roommate. Yes, I understand. This is now the 20th ending of the movie. I am dark. I'm your dad. <laughs> Action, boys. Boys will be boys. Subscribe here for bonus content and more free stuff from behind the paywall. To get new episodes, become a patron at actionboys.biz. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs>